This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. When it comes to your finances, go for the credit card that's always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. That means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We're talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I must stop this whole thing. Why, for 53 years I put up with it now. I must stop Christmas from coming. Live from the place where turkey sandwiches and turkey stew pair great with Monday deals, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. Hey there, money fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm taking a break from scouring the internet for sales on stretchy pants to help Joe and OG welcome host of the new Redefining Wealth podcast, America's Money Maven, Patrice Washington. Also, we'll share headlines about Cyber Monday, a woman who sold all her stocks, throw out the Haven Lifeline to a lucky listener, dish out some trivia, and much more. And now, two guys who could use a good bargain on cologne, if you know what I mean. Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. And hey, welcome back. I am Joe Salci. I average Joe Money on Twitter and across the card table from me for another triumphant return from a holiday weekend, the one and only OG. My favorite is pumpkin pie the day after, like when the pie starts to separate from the crust so you don't actually have to eat the crust and you can just have pie. I like, yeah, no carb, no carb world. <laughs> well, there's no carbs in pie. No. <laughs> there's, there's no sugar either. Nope. Right. None. So did you have a good weekend though? It's always nice to have a few days to gorge yourself on non-sugar pie. <laughs> I love the one day a year where it's socially acceptable to not only loosen the belt, but, but unbutton. Oh, I've got those docker pants that have the little stretch on the side. <laughs> <laughs> those, those come out for Thanksgiving. Those are so good. You know what? If it gets really bad, OG, you might need to lay down, you know, because that nap, Thanksgiving Day nap best nap ever so awesome and this episode of stacky benjamin's brought to you by casper a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products see what i did there huh to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience 
one night at a time or one nap at a time. Give $50 off any mattress purchased by visiting casper.com forward slash stackings, 50 bucks off and using promo code stacking at the checkout. Also, traditionally, you've got choices when it comes to online investing tools. You've got traditional self-directed brokerages on one side. Those offer a lot of customization, but they also hit you with commissions every trade. On top of that, they can be clunky and unintuitive. For more passive investors, you see these automated brokerages that allow you to easily invest in a portfolio they manage for you, but then you hand over the controls. So you find yourself trusting some black box of software you can't really personalize with either of those options. So what do you do? Because they both have compromises. Well, guess what? Why compromise with your money with M1 Finance? You don't have to. They offer a balanced solution like nothing I've ever seen before. You can set up a personalized portfolio tailored to your needs. Have them do it for you. You decide how much control you take. And guess what? The first year with M1 Finance, it's all free. Use code STACKINGBENJAMINS when you sign up for M1 Finance and check it out. StackingBenjamins.com forward slash M, the number one finance. StackingBenjamins.com forward slash M, the number one finance. Great time right now before the holiday. Set up that automatic savings plan. Stop spending money. Get the savings plan started early and coast through the holidays on board your 2018 plan. Well, today's plan, OG, we've got a great show. Patrice Washington coming down to the basement. People know her from the Steve Harvey show. They also know her as America's money maven. They may know she has a brand new podcast out that we're going to talk about. So Patrice kicking off Cyber Monday for you. But first we got a headline. So let's move. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show. Our stacking Benjamin's headlines. First headline comes to us from CNBC. Today is Cyber Monday. Oh, gee. Yes, I know. I'm trying to cyber. The whole you're, you're you're trying to get this done with. If anybody hears clicking in the background, it's because OG is busy scoring deals. Amazon. <laughs> this is written by Jessica Dickler at CNBC. Forget getting up at dawn or even skipping out of the pumpkin pie so you can queue up at Best Buy. This year, the deals are just as good today online. Skipping Cyber Monday, she says, may be a huge mistake, a costly mistake. The prices are a little more predictable, a little more moderate, says Lindsay Sedraka, director of content marketing for shopping site Deal News. But the deals, she said, are easier to take advantage of. Said the best picks this year include two deals from Walmart, a $300 gift card with the purchase of an iPhone X and a curved Samsung smart TV. We talked about some of these things with uh, Bridget Carey last week. She said to expect to find the deepest deals on fall clothing, small devices like headphones and cameras, small appliances such as food processors and espresso machines as well as TVs and electronics. Don't be distracted by filler deals, which aren't as aggressively discounted as doorbusters and may not be worth buying. Track price histories on sites like Camel, 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 she suggested. This is Trey Bodge. They're referring to the smart shopping expert for griffcardgranny.com. Use an app to track the best Cyber Monday ads and deals as they're released. Bodge likes a place called Slick Deals, which is interactive ads and deals vetted by users. You know, we talk about deals today, OG, but this is also a time to remember to be a little safe when you're shopping online, huh? I mean, th- th- this is a big day for hackers, too, and rip-off artists. Well, and it's not always a great deal, right? Just because it's in a big headline that says, now $4.99, doesn't mean that yesterday it wasn't four ninety nine. $4.99. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they put a little one of those little star clusters around it, you know, in red with an exclamation point. And people are like, well, it's, it's on sale. Everything is technically 
on sale at a store. Yeah, this not to to get too semantical with you. No, this deal about filler deals, I think, is a great point that you're making and that you're adding on to. But man, I mean, remember the site should have an S on the end, HTTPS. Remember to use credit cards, not debit cards, when you're shopping because credit cards have controls. It's harder transaction history. You know, how many times do you go shopping and they enter it twice? Right. I mean, that stuff is going to be compounded. We, on days like today when there's just just billions of dollars of transactions going did through. it just yesterday at Walmart yeah you get your alert on your on your phone or something that's like <laughs> you no. just shopped at Walmart you just shopped at Walmart you're like uh no just once I'm saying we were standing at the checkout counter and the same thing went through twice didn't yeah, think that's it, what I mean yeah didn't think it went through the first time and just standing there watching it went oh they uh, that one's a second time but uh big day to get ripped off to so good day to remember Shop at big name retailers. Keep your wallet in your front pocket. Buying history. Sitting at the computer. (laughs) The hacker reaches out, grabs your wallet, going through stealing your gum. (laughs) (laughs) That gum's been in there a while. That's scary. The second headline comes to us from money. I took all my money out of the stock market and it feels amazing. This written by Roz Warren uh, early last month. By the way, this one's been out for a little while, but I thought we needed to draw some attention to it because today there's no day like a shopping day to think about your investing strategy and to get reacquainted with what makes sense and what doesn't. It says, do I think the stock market's about to crash? Am I afraid that with Donald Trump at the helm of our ship of state, the economy is at risk of going down like the Titanic? Sure, that could happen, but that's not why I took my dough off the table. Back in the early 1980s, I inherited $50,000. At the time, this was so much more money than I'd ever had before that I decided I'd better educate myself about financial matters. After much research, I put that money in a percentage of the money I've made since as a writer and part-time librarian into a low-cost index fund. Specifically, I invested in a Vanguard balance fund. She goes on about this. Says it turned out to be a good strategy, made some money, and she cashed out at the beginning of November. Now, all my money stashed in U.S. Treasuries... Treasury inflation protected securities called TIPS laddered CDs, which in the years to come, I can count on to earn me essentially nothing. Why would I do this? I once figured out exactly how much money I'd need to live on, not lavishly, but comfortably for the rest of my life. Promised myself once I had that amount, I'd actually do just that. Take my money out of the market, live on it for the rest of my life. Last week, I reached that goal. I'm 62, so I did it. What a dummy. she, She did it. But she reached her goal, OG. She reached her goal of how much money she'd need to last the rest of her life. She reached it. Why not take it out? There's a number of reasons. Let's just start with a couple of assumptions. She mentioned that she inherited $50,000 back in the early 80s, so roughly 30 years ago, right? Let's assume that she saved 1000 bucks a month for those past 30 years. She's got about $2 million. She doesn't say in the article how much she has. Uh, could she have $3 million? Maybe. Could she have a million and a half? Maybe. Could she have 500000 Who knows, right? And if that's what she thinks that she needs to live on from a comfortable lifestyle, and she's assuming this 4% distribution rule that we've heard about, she's maybe living on sixty or $70,000 a year. Comfortable lifestyle, agreed? Yeah. Here's the problem. In 30 years from now, when she's 92 years old, and inflation has taken that $60,000 lifestyle and turned it into an $18,000 lifestyle, She's going to be really uncomfortable. Inflation is the biggest reason 
that I think that this is this uh, foolish, foolish, foolish decision. Yeah, that's what I thought, too, the first time. And if anything, if anything goes wrong, if inflation goes up even quicker, you know, like we see from time to time. So it's it's a difficult uh, it's it's difficult to just barely reach the goal. I kind of like what Chris Reining was said when he was on a few weeks ago where he reached what he thought was his goal, but he's so paranoid about anything going wrong that he gave himself a nice buffer before he actually stopped working. But what he did, he stopped working, but he didn't take his money out of the market. She's actually done the opposite, though, OG. She's taken her money out of the opposite, and she's continuing to work where she hasn't planned on that money. So instead of getting market returns... Now she's working and making the extra money that she's not getting from the market. So you could say she's kind of doing the same thing. But I feel the same way. I feel like she's giving money away. Another angle to look at this, too, would be to look at it from the perspective of not just her lifetime, but the lifetime of the other people around her. Right. So let's say that she has two million dollars and maybe she is going to be comfortable and live on, you know, 60 or 70 thousand dollars a year for the rest of her life. If she were to have that money reasonably invested, gosh, she mentioned a balance fund. What's wrong with keeping it in the balance fund? That's going to have some exposure to fixed income and some exposure to stock market growth. It's not going to be, you know, crazy off the reservation returns. Probably not that crazy a risk, but think about all the good that she could do for the other people in her life or for charities if she doesn't use it all. At this stage, I guarantee she's going to use all of her money because inflation is just going to collapse it in a real short amount of time. I mean, if she has $2 million, pretty soon she's got to be taken out 100, 150,000 a year. It doesn't take very long before you run that to zero. Yeah. It's a kind of a difficult spot. She's putting her in one way. I like what she's doing here because personal finance is very personal and being able to set up a plan where you don't have to worry about a piece of your investment portfolio that you don't feel that comfortable with, you know, go ahead and overcompensating in other areas like she's going to continue working. I think that that's I think that's a good thing to do, but man, just a little education and I feel like she overcomes this fear of the market that she seems to have and uh makes not free returns but historically how can you have fear of the market if allegedly you've been invested in it for the last 30 years and you're 60 years old? I don't, apparently, that's got, I mean, that's got to be what the, what's going on here is that she's afraid of the market. Why else would you take it out? If, yeah, if, if you know. weren't afraid of the market, why would you not, what, why would you know, not dude. take it out? That's crazy. Yeah. Some people can't be helped. She says, the stock market's been very good to me. Without money in the market, there's no way that this part-time library worker and freelance writer would not have enough money to live in on into her 90s. But as the song goes, you got to know when to hold them and when to fold them. I think she's folding at the wrong time. Yeah. I think she's folding early. But uh, I'll link to that on our show notes at stackybenjamins.com. So number one, lesson number one, I think um, do some homework before you take your money out of the market. I get where she's coming from, from a a psychological level, OG. Mm -hmm. Mathematically, I don't understand why you would do that. And then uh, second lesson, shopping on Cyber Monday. Look for those big deals, avoid what they call the filler deals, and uh, make sure you're shopping at reputable sites and uh, keep your wallet in your front pocket. Patrice Washington, getting ready to come down to the basement. You know her as America's money maven. She also appears regularly on Dr. Oz and also on the Steve Harvey show. 
Patrice is somebody I got to know at FinCon when I introduced her at the 2016 version of FinCon for her keynote appearance. Let's say hello to her today, Patrice Washington from the Redefining Wealth with Patrice Washington podcast coming down to the basement. And Patrice Washington walking down the stairs. Have a seat. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Well, I'm better now that you're here. It's Monday right after Thanksgiving. You have a great Thanksgiving weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Spent a lot of time with the fam. Well, and I can't believe, by the way, that you know somebody else from Texarkana because I thought I was your only Texarkana BFF. First of all, you're the only other person I've ever heard this from, but I had a, a good girlfriend in sixth grade. Her family was from Texarkana and her mom always made a point of saying it. You know, in Texarkana, you know, she, it was always this thing. And so I'm really glad that I like you because you've kind of replaced you know, <laughs> That's how it. I feel about it. Well, I'm glad that your sixth grade friend with the annoying mom and I, that that, uh, <laughs> that, that we're two cool people from Texarkana. But no, I, wanna... I, I love her, though. I love her. Just a disclaimer. I love you, mom. But yeah. <laughs> I, I want to talk about you, though, because your new show is all about chasing purpose, not money, redefining wealth podcast. And I'm curious because you are America's money maven, right? But this yeah. but this show is all about it's bigger than money. What the hell happened to you, Patrice? <laughs> you know what the hell happened to me, Joe? I got tired after all these years of doing a lot of media and having to talk in sound bites about how people could improve their finances. And so I would get called to do these shows or a lot of uh, TV shows or radio shows. And people would say, you know, let's talk about budgeting. Let's talk about investing. Let's talk about retirement. And as someone who literally lost everything in the recession and found myself on the bathroom floor of a 600 square foot apartment in Metairie, Louisiana, bawling and crying, because I had lost everything, gone from a seven-figure business to scraping up change. In that moment, credit reports didn't matter. You know, like the budget didn't matter. I needed something greater than money. I needed money, but my soul was also damaged in the process. And so over these years, as I've worked to rebuild and become America's money maven, I had to do a lot of work on me too. Like I couldn't just budget to this place. I had to do some inside work. And I think a lot of times, you know, people think, well, if I use the right budget, if I have the right online tools or if I run my credit report and know exactly what my scores are every month, everything will get better. And I know that I didn't get better until I did more work on me. I know this is a tough place to go, but how did you lose it all? I was a real estate and mortgage broker when the recession hit. So when the in, in Southern California. So when the real estate bubble burst, my whole business went bursting with it. Uh. And I got started in real estate at 19 years old. So I was really young, became a real estate and mortgage broker during my senior year in college. I had done all the tests and stuff and passed the broker's exam. And so I started this business at 21 and I really didn't know anything else. And I was the one in my family who had made it. So I was not very used to asking people for help or I didn't have coaches. I really didn't depend on mentors or anything and I honestly, I fumbled my way through, you know, I made a lot of money, but one of the things that I learned during that time that I was on the bathroom floor, I found a Bible scripture, Proverbs 17, 16, and it said, what good is money in the hands of a fool if they have no desire to seek wisdom? Wow. And it was like in that moment where I was said, you know, 
Yes, I had the great degree from a, a wonderful university. I had this broker's license. I had all these certifications. I had all this stuff. And I was really great at chasing money. But no one ever taught me about how to seek wisdom, like how to ask for help and what was the real definition of wealth, if you really dig deeply. And so that was like my aha moment, you know, and I was like, there's got to be more to this whole thing than just chasing money because you could have money all day and still lose it. Like I was a good person, yeah. but I still ended up flat broke. I love the way you talk about this on the podcast too, and I'm going to get to that in a minute. But it's funny that we're having this conversation right now because my coach, and like you said, uh, for a long time, I didn't have mentors and coaches, and it so changed everything when I did. But she mm -hmm. handed me this book called Care of the Soul, a guide for cultivating depth and sacredness in everyday life. And this guy, Thomas Moore, that wrote it, he is a, uh, uh, he's a, he's a therapist. And a lot of therapists, you walk into their office and the therapist tries to change you. And he said, well, instead of working to remove things from your life, why don't you work on the everyday and making the everyday be something meaningful and make, the, make your day soulful, make it, you know, we talk a lot about the soul, but our days feel empty and they get emptier as we try to remove stuff stuff. And so it's funny because, you know, and you say this at the beginning of your podcast, you say, you know, if you don't know where you want to go, you're just going to drive around in circles. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is, though. We think that it's all about the money, right? We're like, if I get a new job or as soon as I start this business or as soon as I get a raise, as soon as I get married, as soon as my kids go off to college, like there's always this kind of one day, someday thing. But one of the things that I really try to drive home in the podcast is that truly being wealthy, which the, the real definition of wealth is well-being. If you go all the way back 12th century, it's about being fulfilled. And so we think that it's about someday, one day on the calendar way over there. But really, what can we be doing each and every day to find fulfillment in our lives? Because I really think that a lot of us mismanage money when we're unfulfilled. What, what and... We don't talk about that enough. Right. 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 Not that you don't have enough information. It's not that you don't have enough education. There's something else missing that's keeping you from just buckling down and doing what it is you know you need to do. And usually there's a void there that you're trying to fill instead of finding fulfillment in everyday things. How did things change for you then when you're laying on the floor, everything's yeah. gone what were the things that changed in your life from that moment on when you had that big aha? The first thing that changed is that I had to forgive myself. <laughs> like I said, I was first generation to go to college and yeah. I went to a really wonderful school and all this stuff. And I felt the shame and guilt and embarrassment of it all. So, like, how did I let this happen? Yeah, like there's so much riding on your shoulders and expectations of other people. Absolutely. And I felt it all. You know, I didn't even I was living in Southern California. I didn't even have like a going away party. We like fled. Uh, <laughs> we like fled to go to Louisiana because of the shame and the guilt. And coming out of that, Joe, honestly, it wasn't easy. But every day I made a decision to give myself permission to just see myself differently. Like this is something that has happened to you, but this is not you. Because in the moment, I felt like a failure. And when I started to realize, look, this was an event. This was a one-time thing. But just because you lost all your money, that doesn't mean your mind is bad. Like you haven't lost your mind. And if you've done things before, you can certainly do it again. 
But I had to talk myself into that, you know, like I literally had to work through that on a day to day basis. And it might sound corny to some people, but honestly, every time those thoughts came up of fear or embarrassment or rejection, I would literally just affirm something else. Like, you know, just tell myself, like, been there, done that on the way back. (laughs) You know, I would have these little mantras and sayings that I would just, I would literally talk to myself. And I know that some people would consider that being crazy. That was the thing that really got me up off the floor was talking to myself and just trying to, again, forgive myself. And my definition of forgiveness is giving up the possibility of a better past. Like not... Like not holding on and being in beat up mode. And and for people who have been through financial failures like I have, right, it's always this. I should have done this. Right. What's wrong with me? Oh, I was so stupid. Oh, and, and, you know, words are powerful. Right. And instead of staying in that place, I really was like, I acknowledge what I could have done better. But that was it. Like going in circles didn't serve me. I just needed to accept it and give myself permission to move on. And that was a daily thing. This is what I love about about your pillars, Patrice, is that you kind of walk through, and you do this at the beginning of the Redefining Wealth podcast also, the different things that it takes, like these core components. And I'd like to briefly walk through them. People want to see more. They can obviously go listen to your show. But it's funny to me, I want to start with the end, because it's funny to me that money for America's money maven is not the first pillar. It's pillar number six. (laughs) And that was intentional, you know, because when I would coach and counsel people as a personal finance coach um, back in the day, again, folks would come to me and go, you know what? I just have a problem with budgeting. If you teach me how to budget, you know, I think everything will be okay. And then as we really start to work through it, it was very clear to me you don't have a problem with budgeting. (laughs) Like, you know, you have a problem with saying no to the people in your life. Yeah. So for me, it became, if I help you get all the other stuff that truly matters, if I help you get all of that in order, dealing with your money will be a non-issue. It just will not be as hard as you're making it. But when you have so many other areas, again, where there's a void or there's unfulfillment, it's easy to join other folks and commiserate about how no one has money. (laughs) Oh, the economy's awful. No one's working. It's really easy to join that. But when you can like really buckle down and take a hard look at yourself and the different areas in your life where you need to maybe improve some things, then that conversation with money just totally shifts. Yeah. And I don't know if it's it's the right phrasing, but it's a lot more fun, too, because you're completely in control that way. I want to start with the first pillar here, which is fit. Are you talking about being physically fit with the first pillar? I am. I do mention being physically fit, but I also include being mentally fit. Because, again, a lot of us are maybe praying, Joe, for things or hoping for things that we don't even have the mental capacity to sustain. So you might make money, but if you don't have the mental fortitude to do the work to keep it, then what? Right. Like then there's still going to be an issue. And with the physical fitness piece, to me, if you have a great vision of being debt free or building wealth or whatever your vision may be, you also have a responsibility to nurture and protect the vessel. That's the body, the only one you get in this life. You have a responsibility to take care of it so that you can see that vision to fruition. Like what good is money if you're laying on a hospital bed 
<laughs> you know, not being able to get out and enjoy anything, or if you're spending all your money on prescriptions, you know, that you can't even pronounce. Like, what good is money in that case? It's so funny when people look back at the, on their life, you hear all these stories about people from the hospital bed that they never look back and go, man, I wish I would have worked more, right? Wish I <laughs> it, it, which brings up number two, your number two pillar is people. And you say yeah. that relationships matter most. And I'm totally on board with this one. This is the huge pillar. It's huge. And it, there was a big turning point for me with this one, even as being America's money maven. When my second book, Real Money Answers for Every Woman, came out and I was on a tour, Joe, all over the country, book signing, doing all kind of stuff. And I came home one day on a Sunday and my daughter called me the nanny's name three times in a row. Oh, no. Yeah. And that, you know, she was like six at the time. And it was really kind of sobering. I'm like, am I gone so much that she's getting confused or like what's going on here? I had to take a hard look at myself. And I had to take a step back and really assess, even in this pursuit of doing amazing things, and I love the people that I serve, the community that I serve, but the truth is I have no desire to be a public success and a private failure. Mm. We live in a society that really promotes this hustle and grind, and you got to make it happen and whatever it takes. And sometimes that means that you're supposedly working to provide for your loved ones. But if your loved ones don't ever feel your love or your presence, what good is that? I know a guy who I worked with him when I was first a financial planner and he had been divorced and he said he felt this incredible responsibility to your point to make a lot of money. He said, but what he totally missed out was his family was bonding without him because he was never home. And yeah. when he finally tried to rejoin the family, they had all changed and gone in a different direction. And that's when his divorce happened. It's so true. And it's not just with personal relationships. You know, we really need to value all relationships, really. But even in business relationships, like even in you extending the opportunity to me to be on Stacking Benjamins means a lot. You know, there's a lot of takers out there. Right. There's a lot of people who take, 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 take. But they never say, well, how can I support you? Or what can I do to help you get to your next level? And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, that is totally okay. But we're so used to, like, doing whatever it takes to get what we need. And then we move on to the next and just totally forget people. You know, a lot of the opportunities that I've had over the course of my career haven't come because I was the best speaker or the most qualified. They have really come because I value people and I treat people well. See, and they remember me. And I thought, Patrice, you just came to Texarkana because mom serves cupcakes. <laughs> I thought that was specifically why you were coming. We were bribing you with cupcakes. And you didn't even have to. <laughs> <laughs> now, now you tell me. Number three pillar for you is space. Yep. Space is all about setting up your life to support you. And this was one of the things that I really learned for myself, but also when I was doing the financial coaching is that so many of my clients will waste so much time, so much time looking for things that they already owned but can never find. And that produces clutter, right? Like mental clutter. So now I'm talking to them about different ideas to start a business using their gifts or giving them ideas for what products they could use for their personal finances. And they're so distracted by all this crap around them that they just can never freaking focus. Mm. And one of the things I used to tell my clients is how can you get your financial life in order when your financial documents are scattered all over the place? Right. Like that is a physical representation 
of this piece of your life. And when we look around us, everything that you see is a physical representation of some type of chaos that you have going on in that department. So, you know, a lot of folks that that I've worked with in the past, if they were also struggling with weight, their closet was usually a reflection of that chaos because they would tear through a million outfits every day. <laughs> oh, this doesn't fit. This is ripped. This is torn. This is. And so you start throwing things everywhere and then you're always buying new clothes to replace, not even replace, to add to what doesn't fit from last season. And it becomes a mess when it's really like if you would clean that up and deal with the true source of what's going on, then you don't have to waste time being that person because every time you have to look for something or you're so irritated or agitated by what you see around you, it takes away from your ability to focus in on what makes you money or what is going to help you really produce well. This has been Cheryl and my area has been cluttered. This is, this is my particular weakness, Patrice. And what's funny is We've now used this service. We had them on the show a couple of weeks ago, the people from Declutter, where you just, oh, you, yeah. yeah, you take stuff, you throw it in a box. It's the easiest thing. And I got to tell you, just getting rid of that stuff, like the, the, the uplifting feeling I had that it was going away. It didn't matter that I was making a little money on the side from it. It was so, it was so nice to just not have this junk. Just, mm-hmm. just, you're right. The, the mental clutter. And I still, suffer from that and and uh wish well you can see i'm working in my mom's basement for goodness sake <laughs> someday patrice someday we will be above ground but, <laughs> but, but but i totally agree when i see people that don't have we talk a lot here about the this millionaire money mindset and these little things mm-hmm. that millionaires don't deal with because they have these systems and processes that automate everything right so they can focus on yeah. the, the big thing in their life is so important but not yes. as important, I think. I was wondering, you had faith as number four. And for a mm-hmm. lot of people, you know, faith is the big number one. Yeah, and you know what? That was really intentional. <laughs> that was intentional. And let me tell you why. I am a believer. I, and I, I really believe in just spirituality, yeah. period. Like believing in something greater. If I didn't believe in something greater, Joe, I would have never got off that floor in Metairie, Louisiana. Mm. Like I got to the point where it was like, there has got to be... Uh, a purpose for all this pain. And so just tapping into and believing in something greater is what really helped me have the resilience to to get up and keep going. But I didn't make it first, though, because what I noticed with a lot of, you know, people who have a substantial amount of faith is that it becomes this whole, well, I'm going to wait on God, right, to fix my finance. Or, you know, I prayed about it and now I'm going to just mosey on down the road, you know, I'm going to sit and wait. And so I am very proactive and I believe that it's our responsibility to participate in our own rescue. And one of the things that I tell my community is that God will know what you're waiting on when he sees what you're working on. Like you have to put the work in first. It's not about sitting around and waiting and being reactive and hoping and praying and wishing. You still have a responsibility to like create a plan and then do something. That's so right? disappointing to hear. I mean, I mean, because <laughs> I really just want to sit around with a box of donuts and wait. Come um, on. I know you do. I got to put the work in. <laughs> we got to put the work in. And so as much as I believe that faith is such a, a strong part of all of this, I didn't want people to be able to hit faith and then think, oh, you know, I go to church. So I got this whole thing down. I really wanted to get my audience in the habit of doing the work, doing something that moves them forward. 
every day. And then number five, of course, is work. And number six is money. And I'm going to let, I'm out of time. So I'm going to let people discover those on the podcast. So let's pivot, Patrice. Let's talk about the show. Congratulations on launching. I was so excited when we met in Anaheim and you said yeah. the show was, was launching and I was so fired up to hear that. Tell everybody about the Redefining Wealth podcast. Well, the Redefining Wealth podcast is really just about bringing all of these principles to life and it's really sharing my insights, Joe, and everything that I've learned to, again, go from scraping up change to becoming America's money maven and living the life that I have today. And it's about not being one of those folks who give you a bunch of cliches like, oh, you know, work hard, live your live your life's passion, <laughs> you know, just hustle. I didn't want to be another one of those people. I wanted to really give concrete steps that you could take every week, just something new that you can incorporate in your daily habits, because I'm all about practical stuff. So like, let's go do this and then see what happens. And besides my insights, I've really been having a good time interviewing other folks who are athletes or entertainers or authors, thought leaders in their own right, because I wanted someone else to come in and underscore this whole thing that wealth is not just about money and material possessions, that wealth truly is about well-being. And so I highlight successful folks to tell us how they incorporate these pillars in their own lives. And it's been such a joy. And I'm just so excited to be joining the ranks of amazing podcasters like you. Oh man, sucking up to me gets you huge points. <laughs> huge, huge points. It's point. true. It's true. <laughs> and of course, you've got a really engaged community and people can go to patricewashington.com to get more. And the podcast is available everywhere, right? Where you're listening to Stacky Benjamins, you can just subscribe mm -hmm. to your podcast as well there. Yep. And I would be remiss... You know, I realize this interview is all about you and me, but I have to ask you, a lot of people know you through, of course, through Steve Harvey as well. And is mm -hmm. that guy every bit as crazy behind the set as he is? In and by crazy, I mean people that know me know Patrice. I'm talking crazy, funny, crazy, cool, not, not wacko. He just seems like a heck of a guy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I've known Steve Harvey since I was 19 years old. So when we talk about relationships that matter... I got the opportunity to have a weekly segment on his nationally syndicated radio show because he just watched me from a distance. I didn't even ask. The first interview was was an offer that I could not turn down, um, but was an offer. And he said, yeah, like once people start liking it, just come back and do it every week. But he is just as crazy. And I'm not sure that I've ever really been in his presence. And I didn't either really laugh until I cry or cry because he told me something really deep. Because he's also pretty deep and spiritual. And so he always has like a word, you know, for you. Um, so he's been a great mentor over the years. That's fantastic. Patrice Washington, I wish you had something to say. I feel bad that you seem to have, have no guidance for people, no, you, that you're not a light for people. That's so, so horrible. I'll try next time, Joe. Right, right. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thank you. Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and wow, how about Patrice Washington, huh? She talks about redefining wealth. Well, lots of wealth headed to online retailers today, so let's focus on that for our trivia question, shall we? What year was the term Cyber Monday coined? I'll be back with the answer and probably a great deal on Joe's mom's old washer and dryer in just a moment. 
Today's episode of Stacking Benjamins brought to you by Casper. They're the sleep brand that continue to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. Casper's mattresses designed by humans for humans. They combine multiple supported memory foams for a quality sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. Casper's breathable design helps you sleep cool and regulate your body temperature throughout the night. And they're not just a mattress company. Casper offers a wide array of products to ensure an overall better sleep experience. Of course, Casper's mattresses made in the USA. Buying a Casper's Easy order online. It's delivered to your door in a compact box. You get free shipping and free returns to the USA and Canada. And considering we spend one third of our lives on a mattress, it's so important to truly sleep on a mattress before committing. That's why Casper gives you 100 nights to try it out. Start sleeping ahead of the curve with Casper. Get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com forward slash stacking and use promo code stacking at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. That's $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com forward slash stacking promo code stacking at checkout. I've talked about this stat before, but this is scary. According to a 2016 Gallup poll, 48% of all Americans don't own any stock. And I realize it can be dawning when it's time to start something new, but here's a great thing. Getting invested is more to do with taking baby steps than leaping headfirst into Wall Street. Here's Brian Barnes, founder of M1 Finance, on just how easy it is to be invested. So you just either log on to the website or use the mobile application. We're native on Android and iOS, and it takes about three minutes, and your first $1,000 that you deposit is managed for free. I'd love to say the free $1,000 is a special deal I made for you, but uh, Brian and M1 Finance are that good to everybody. With M1, you can select from one of dozens of professionally designed portfolio pies, or you can customize it, as mom says, to your heart's content. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash M1 Finance for more. That's stackingbenjamins.com, M, the number one, finance.com for more. So just fire up their mobile app, M1 Finance, be invested. Hey, trivia nerds, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, back with your trivia answer. Here was that question again. What year was the term Cyber Monday first coined? Got it? The term Cyber Monday was created by marketing companies to persuade people to shop online by two people working on behalf of internet firm Shop.com. Ellen Davis and Scott Silverman first penned Cyber Monday in a press release entitled Cyber Monday quickly becoming one of the biggest online shopping days of the year. Well, what year was that? How about... 2005. Did you get it right? If so, write to me and I'll give you a special deal on Joe's mom's washer and dryer. Slightly used, but by slightly, I mean fairly well used. Probably like really well used. All right. She beat the shit out of it, man. Make me an offer, please. See ya. Nice job there. Close. Nice. Or using hand grenades. Man, that was, that was, sounded really Midwestern, nearly Canadian of me. Nice job, Dare. <laughs> Good job, Dare, with the trivia, Dare. That, that, that I've played Trivial so. Pursuit in a long time. I should, uh, 
I should whip that out. I've not done that. We used to play drinking trivial pursuit where if you got it wrong, you drank. And if you got it right, you got a piece of the pie. By the end, nobody had pie. You're all hammered. You're sitting around just talking. (laughs) The game's gone. Yep. Yeah. Not a, that's a tough game without a good amount of people around. Yeah. And without a good amount of alcohol, if you're as dumb as we are. Hey, uh, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's or rather life insurance's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency have been spearheading innovation within the life insurance industry by focusing on what you value most, your family and your time. And that's why they created a high quality, most importantly, affordable term life insurance policy issued by Mass Mutual. You can purchase entirely online. No need to wait several weeks for a decision when you can get one instantly with Haven Life. Head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to get a free quote and learn about insurance the modern way. Let's say hello on the Haven Lifeline to our new friend, Angela. Hey, Angela. Hey, Joe and OG. Angela here. I've been listening to the show for a while now, and I'm interested in starting to invest in real estate after learning about roof stock and hearing guests talk about diversification through real estate on the show. I'm a millennial and working on paying off student loans, so I'm not sure I have the capital to buy a rental property right now. However, I have a Roth 401k with a previous employer and know you have talked about buying real estate with a self-directed IRA in the past. Am I missing any big red flags or issues in rolling this money over to start diversifying into the rental world that I should be thinking about? Is it possible to get mortgage financing for a house owned by an IRA or do you have to go in as a cash buyer? Probably. Also, do you have any recommendations for custodians to hold the IRA if I end up going this route? Thanks in advance. Hey there, Angela. Great. I couldn't I couldn't help myself. I had to comment while she's talking. Because Angela, this is uh we love real estate and we of course love uh yeah, we love everything about real estate, but this is a horrible idea. Oh gosh. What a real, real tough pill to swallow. I know that they exist. Right. That there are companies out there who brag about their abilities to help you finagle the rules around uh, IRA ownership of a rental property and that sort of thing. The problem is that a small mistake can turn into just a catastrophic tax problem uh, later on down the line. And you don't want any part of that. So definitely keep your IRAs as IRAs. If you are considering investing in real estate within your IRA, there's plenty of ways to do that through REITs and other investments like that, that give you real estate exposure. Yeah. Let's halt right there because I think a real estate investment trust, Angela, I think that's what you want. OG referred to as a REIT. Of course, real estate investment trust is a REIT, but that's where your money goes into a pot of money with a bunch of other people. You buy diversified collection of real estate, either with a manager or as a passive index. You can do that either way, but a REIT, I think, is the way to go. Well, it gives you the exposure to the real estate that you're that you're pining for without having to leave the confines of your IRA or Roth 401k plan or whatever the case may be. As far as buying real estate on the open market, um, you don't want to do that if you've got some other debt uh, to get get rid of the student loans first and then save your down payment and do it the, uh, the tried and true way. I'm a little more aggressive uh, than OG is in this area. I think owning uh, actual physical property in an IRA is okay, something that you can do. But like OG said, there's plenty, Angela, there's plenty of problems here and people don't know all the rules before they do it. I'll give you an example. And this is also why having a mortgage is nearly impossible on the property. You can't touch it. It can't be involved with you if it's in an IRA. 
So you personally getting a mortgage on that property, incredibly difficult because there's got to be a custodian actually getting the loan, not you getting the loan. Are there people that do that? Yeah. Is it tough? Absolutely. Is the interest rate going to be as low as it is on your on just a regular rental property? Most, most probably no. The interest rate's going to be bumped up because of the complexity. And you can't go to that property. You can't stay there. You can't be affiliated with it. And can't use the money from it. Can't use that that money from it's all gotta go back in your IRA. It's just it's a it's a paperwork flipping mess having the mortgage inside of it. So I'll stop with you can't have the mortgage inside of it. Having a property that you're an all-cash buyer, okay, you can do that. I'm not going to recommend a custodian. You can look online and find custodians that do that because I'm not comfortable doing that either. But I'll also tell you this. There's there's expenses that come with owning physical property. If something happens, like, I mean, I'll just give you an example, insurance, taxes, and upkeep. If you don't have a renter in there for a while and you run out of cash in that IRA, Now you got to figure out a way to pump money into it to pay those expenses, which creates even more problems. So I think for those reasons, I think doing it as an all cash buyer is one way to go as long as you keep plenty of cash on hand. But um, I go REIT the same way that that OG is talking about. Thanks for the question there. If you've got a question for us, uh, you'll see on our website, it says questions. StackingBenjamins.com is, of course, the name of our website. We also get letters down here in the basement. Doug just brought down the mail. And Alex says, hi there. I love your show in all caps. Well, thank you, Alex. I'm a big fan of all caps love. Yes. I like small caps. You know what I mean? Like the- <laughs> everything is everything is half the size, but it's all capitals. Yes. Don't they call also, it? Also, I like small caps like companies. Ah, Ah. <laughs> See what I did there? Yes. Yeah. Very alert, funny. Alert, alert. Double entendre. You almost lost me because I have very little brain. We know that. Well, yes. But anyway. Alex got questions about. Yeah. Alex loves the show, but never learned anything. So he's hoping he learned something today. Sorry, Alex. We're going to swing and miss on this one. What is the best way to fund a trust for a child with special needs who will not be able to support himself as an adult? Is it best to buy a life insurance policy with a high payout for when we pass on, or should we try to calculate what his needs will be and set up investments with the special needs trust as a beneficiary? My husband and I are 39 and 41, make about 110000 per year, and have saved 500000 for retirement so far. Our son is 15 and nonverbal and will need help with self-care such as feeding, bathing, etc. We have another child who's 11, but he's too young to be a part of her long-term care planning, although that may change when he gets old. We can handle the care emotionally and financially while we're alive and active, but worry about what will happen when we get too old or when we pass on. We have term insurance that will expire when our special needs child turns 22, but worry about getting permanent life insurance now and paying for the next 40, 50 years on a permanent policy when even a $5 million policy might not be worth much in 50 years because of inflation. Should we buy permanent life insurance or do we just put money in investments that'll keep up with inflation at 40 to 50 years to compound? We live very simply and save a lot and are maxing out our Roth IRA contributions, so we'll have about $1,000 a month toward planning for him. Thank you so much. Man, talk about stuff going on there, huh? The light show gets the complicated planning question. Right. A lot of different options to do this. Of course, you want to use a special needs trust and work with an estate planning attorney who specializes in this because you want to make sure that the trust is set up correctly. And the trust, kind of backing the truck up here a little bit, is 
a document, it's an entity, I guess, that you create that holds money and property for somebody else. And you get to dictate to some degree how those proceeds are distributed. In this case, you want to make sure that the money is set aside for your son and you want to make sure that it doesn't prevent him from receiving any other sort of financial support or aid that might happen over the years uh, that he might qualify for as well. The way to fund it, of course, is going to be a little personal preference, but it also has to be set up in a way that doesn't rely on you guys both being around for the next 50 years, because in reality, of course, anything could happen over the next 50, 60 years. And you want to make sure that your son's protected, even if you get hit by a bus or something like that, God forbid. So I don't know that you can rely on the investment only strategy because if you knew you're going to live the next 50 years, why that probably makes the most sense. But if you don't know what tomorrow brings and none of us do, then you have to be insured and also assured of the fact that, uh, that your children are taken care of in that time. How to pay for it term life? Not a big fan of that right now. This is one of those few instances where permanent policies can make sense. This is um, what made me grin is to all of our friends who say there's no other type of insurance but term insurance, and we're largely on that train. This is when we say that every type of financial tool has a purpose. Yeah. Welcome to the purpose. Yeah. And it goes beyond just is it term or is it permanent? Because I think you'd find that permanent is probably the solution. But then within that space of permanent insurance, there's several, I mean, probably I can think of six or seven different types right out the gate that make sense or could make sense, I should say. And then variations on that. What immediately springs to mind is a second to die policy. Now, I don't know that this is the right right one. We'd have to do a little bit more planning to figure this out. Yeah, this is a but, big time planning issue. But let me just kind of explain how this works. A second to die policy ensures two people at the same time. And it requires that both of them have passed before it pays the insurance. And you go, well, why would I want that and not just a regular insurance policy? Because the cost structure of a second to die policy is exponentially less because you're insuring two people. And think of it this way. If I asked you, Joe, what's half times a half? What's your immediate response? Yep, you don't have one. Your brain doesn't work. A lot of people say one. It's a quarter. It's a quarter though, right? So if I've got a 50% chance of getting hit by a bus today and Mrs. OG has a 50% chance of getting hit by a bus, together we have a 25% chance of both getting hit by a bus. Now that's a real simplistic way of looking at that. But if you look at life insurance for a 41-year-old or a 39-year-old, Alex, I can't remember what you said, what's the likelihood of one of you passing away today? Pretty low, right? What's the likelihood of both of you passing away today? Much lower. Really low. So the cost structure associated with a second-to-die policy is much, much less, which to your point, Alex, when you were asking about you know, $5 million might not be enough, I don't know if it would be or wouldn't be. We'd have to plan on that or we'd have to do a plan to figure that out. But the cost structure on a $5 million second-to-die policy would surprise you in how inexpensive that would be. But you're right. You are going to have to pay for it for the next 40 or 50 years. So it's a gimme and a gotcha. It's a lot of planning here. But I, there's a huge amount of financial planning involved. You know then, this is a big issue when there is a type of attorney that that's all they do. I've met attorneys that this is all they work on, Alex, mm -hmm. is your issue. And when you've yep. got a whole niche group of attorneys that only work on this one thing. Yeah, there's a lot of planning. Yeah. And when you work with an attorney, they'll be able to help you 
or in theory anyway, should be able to have a, a network of people. There's all sorts of other financial professionals that specialize in this as well. And then you solve for the tool to be used, right? So, so you go from the planning aspect all the way through the entire planning process. And then you decide now what's the most effective tool, whether it's term insurance or investments or second to die policy or whatever. So, yeah. so work on the plan and then, and then work on the uh, implementation of it. Thanks for the question, Alex. You have a question for the show. Uh, send those to our website, stackingbenjamins.com. You'll see it says questions, question mark at the top and answer there. We can throw out the Haven Lifeline to you that way. You can write a letter that Doug brings down when he brings down the mail. All kinds of ways to get a hold of us. Thanks to everybody who's left a review of this year podcast. We've had a lot of fun reviews, and uh, this one's going up on Mom's Fridge. Says, it's good to laugh and learn nothing. Not really, in parentheses. This is by Jojo KJR. Laughter's good medicine, so you get lots of it here. Learning financial stuff, not so much. That's what Joe and OG want me to say. They have really good advice that makes me investigate my financial situation. They tell you to learn for yourself how these things work. And I like that. You, you have to learn for yourself. And uh, if you're going to have help, have good help in your corner. And by the way, OG is taking clients, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash letter O, letter G for that. Coming up this week, we've got a fantastic week, but we're going to leave it a surprise, OG. I think that's the fun way to do this week. So we will see you on Wednesday back here, Stacking More Benjamins. <laughs> okay, okay, Joe, I'll take it from here. As usual, the job of putting this train wreck in order falls to this guy. So what should you have learned today? Well, first... Selling your stocks before you're within shouting distance of your goal? Maybe not the best idea. Historically, you've left lots of money on the table by avoiding asset classes that pair best with your time frame. Start with the end in mind and then choose investments based on your goal. Second, take a cue from Patrice Washington. Chasing money? You're probably looking at an unfulfilling life if you don't think first about your purpose. But the big lesson... Don't volunteer to help Joe's mom sell her washer and dryer in exchange for a free dinner. You'll end up with another turkey sandwich, your third help in a turkey stew, five-day-old stuffing, and bottom-of-the-mashed potato barrel. And no pie! Special thanks to Patrice Washington for joining us today. You'll find her new podcast, Redefining Wealth, wherever you listen to this show. This show was created by Joe Saul Cihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Kathleen Selmans handles design, newsletter, and classroom opportunities. If you'd like to learn more, head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash classes. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. Shannon Cowan is our community manager and social media guru. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm pretty much the guy in charge of everything around here. Trust me, this well-oiled machine didn't get like this all by itself. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Special thanks to Joe's mom for convincing OG to lay off the ice cream. Somebody's just a little lactose intolerant.
I saw a movie. That's earth-shattering news. We were putting up the Christmas tree, by the way, and uh, tried to watch a movie. I think it was called Joyful Celebration. It was with uh, Queen Latifah and Dolly Parton. We tried to... Normally, we put up the Christmas tree. We try to watch like White Christmas or something. And I said, you know, we got Netflix. We've got Amazon. Let's look for a classic movie. So I go on Netflix. Can't find anything. Nothing screams classic like Queen Latifah and Dolly Parton. Hold on. Hold on. Can't find a classic. And then we go to Amazon and they have all kinds of classics. And everyone I click on is not part of Prime. And they're like, oh, go buy it. Like, There's got to be something free. So then we find this joyful Christmas. It's It's about this church choir. And it's horrible. And the lines in it, like you can see by the look on Queen Latifah's face that she's happy she's getting paid because it's not worth it. Because the whole, like, we're laughing about some of the some of the lines that they say. The, oh my goodness! That, that, I wish I remembered how bad the lines were because it would be gold radio. But did I write it down? No. Just if you find yourself wanting to watch a movie uh, with uh, Dolly Parton and Queen Latifah, don't do it. Um, do not, do, do not even start there. But I did go to the theater this last, uh, you know, semi weekend after the holiday. And I saw this little movie from an Agatha Christie book called Murder on the Orient Express. There is something about a tangle of strangers pressed together for days with nothing in common but the need to go from one place to another and never see each other again. Ah! I see evil on this train. A passenger has died. So they got him after all. You assume he was killed? No, 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 not Well, he was in perfectly good health. He, he had his enemies. Indeed, he was murdered. God, a murder here. God rest his soul. Someone was rummaging around my cabin in the middle of the night. No one would listen to me. If there was a murder. What is going on? Then there was a murderer. The murderer is with us. And every one of you is a suspect. Every one of them, OG, is a suspect. Of course, everybody on the train. And the train gets derailed in the middle of nowhere, which gives the, I'm, I'm not going to pronounce the name right, Hercule Perot. Uh, of course, it, you know, looks like uh, Hercule Perot. And somebody calls him that and he corrects them. And of course, I'm going to get it wrong too. But he is uh, Agatha Christie's star detective shows up in a ton of her murder mysteries uh, back in the early 1900s that millions of people have read. Millions of people have read this book, I'm sure. I may have read this a long time ago because I guessed the the plot uh, when we saw the, I guessed who done it when we were watching the, the previews for it. And uh, Cheryl reminded me of that when the movie ended. She's like, you guessed it. <laughs> you guessed it like we were watching the preview like three weeks ago. And she goes, I was just shocked. I was like, wow. And uh, so so I may have read this book. I read a lot of Agatha Christie books. 
But I'll tell you, so Kenneth Branagh plays the detective, and then the passengers on the train are a who's who of actors. Willem Dafoe, Michelle Pfeiffer, Johnny Depp, Dame Judi Dench, and Penelope Cruz, among others, are some of the passengers. So you've got a lot of big name actors uh, in, in this movie. It's a classic story. Great actors did a great job acting. Now, this is this is kind of a tale of two different people. So we went with, uh, Cheryl and I went with Autumn and her boyfriend. And Autumn's boyfriend said, it was good. I didn't love it. And if I don't see a lot of movies, I might have felt that way about this movie. I'd be like, yeah, it was pretty good. It was okay. I see a lot of movies. This movie was so different than the ones you feel like their movies have this formula that you see over and over and over and over. And I really get sick of it. Right. Because you, you're just like, OK, I'm on this same staircase that I'm on every stinking movie. This movie wasn't on that staircase. That's why I like movies uh, I saw a month ago or so, uh, The Foreigner, right? right? Where where you're like, OK, yep, I know. There's the bad guy. There's the good guy. Bad guys, you know, da, 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 and then they go and you go, hmm, hmm, didn't see that coming. But I still thought I still thought the foreigner was a little predictable, but it was so oh, well. Sure. I thought it was still so well yeah. done. No, it was so the foreigner was so fun, was so great. I forgot to tell you that I went and saw that after yeah. you saw it. And Man, you thought it was great. Oh, loved it. Absolutely loved the foreigner. I but I really loved this movie too. I yeah, thought it. Okay. I I thought it was really. You, you know what I liked about it? In a lot of movies, you don't appreciate the cinematography, but you think that. You know, this story's from the early 1900s, so if you don't bring it, and it's been done a bajillion times, right? Every, you, you see, high schools do it, you know, do play productions. Our local community theater's done it. Like, everybody's done this. A lot of people, half the people that went had seen it, and the third out of four. So, Autumn had, had read the book and knew what happened. Cheryl had read the book and knew what happened. I apparently have read the book because I knew what happened at the, at the end, and I still thought it was great because the cinematography was so good. And, and I think that's what they had to do. Bring big name actors, bring great cinematography, make the story so uh, interesting and uh, so well acted that it's, it's just a fun ride. Really a fun, fun movie. Murder on the Orient Express. From where I sat, great. I think if you don't go see a lot of movies, though, you might not be as in love with it as I was. Because I could see Oliver's point of view going, yeah, it was good. Wasn't great. You know, Okay. Just seemed like a pretty movie. Okay. But good stuff. Uh, so two thumbs up from Joe. Th- yeah. Thumb up for me. That's all that matters. Yes. That is all that matters. My opinion, my way of the highway. So <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff there. Can't wait. Oh, in December, I keep seeing more and more movies come out that look so good. And I'm so not happy with the fact that so many movies look just so good. Uh, this I saw the, the preview for this P.T. Barnum movie coming out. With starring Hugh Jackman, that looks good. Saw one with um, Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks, that's coming out. Of course, you got Star Wars coming. You've got uh, you got just movie after movie now looks great, and you wonder could somebody put out a decent movie in late August or September or maybe in March, please? Say, how's about in like May? Yeah, somebody put out a, a decent somebody other than uh, a superhero. Um, yeah, superhero. Oh, yeah. All right, man. That's going to do it. We'll see everybody back here Wednesday. Well, Stackers, this episode is over, but you know what? Your homework has just begun, and it's not about what you know. It's about what you do. And partnering with the right organizations 
is a huge part of your success. Well, let me tell you, becoming a member at Navy Federal Credit Union could help you earn more and save more. Their certificate options could earn you more than standard savings accounts with competitive rates. Now, not all financial institutions offer you as many choices for savings options as Navy Federal does. For example, you could start your savings journey with a low minimum deposit, add money at any time, and watch your savings grow. Thanks to flexible terms, you can use Navy Federal savings options for all kinds of goals, short or long term. Considering a big home improvement project, maybe you want to consolidate debt. Begin, stackers, with your debt strategy. Decide what the best terms are and conditions for the debt that you want to take, and then decide on the products. And with Navy Federal, you could borrow up to 100% of your home's equity with a fixed rate home equity loan with zero closing costs, or easily borrow as you go with a home equity line of credit. Both options could help make life's big expenses seem more manageable as you work your way through life. To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org. At Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equalizing lender, membership required. Terms and conditions apply, loans subject to approval.